Um, I have a sermon here for you that is incredibly simple, but it's got a lot of words. Is that okay? It's simple, but it's a lot of words. Um, and in fact, I'm going to read a lot of words. Sometimes I focus on just one scripture. That's how the Lord directs me, just one singular scripture. And he has a lot for me to say about that scripture. And sometimes I just say a lot of scriptures with not a lot for me to fill in. And so I feel like that's where I am today. And I asked the Lord if I should continue on this or if I should move on, and I felt like he wanted me to preach on this one more time uh, before we have our Christmas service uh, next week. So um, I want you to just review about the Abrahamic. Everybody say Abrahamic, if you can. You can also say Abrahamic, but usually it's pronounced Abrahamic, and it was a covenant that God made with Abraham that superseded time. Everybody say it superseded time, right? He made it to him thousands of years ago, and it applies to us today, which is incredible. So I just want to say this, and it's a very simple, simple thought. God kept his promises. And God always keeps his promises. If you get anything today, I want you to get this. God keeps his promises. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 21, it says in verse uh, 43, he's talking about how he brought them in and he settled them in their land and then he gave them peace in verse 44 and he had told them, you know, I'm going to give you this land and you're your enemies aren't going to stand against you. And, and it says that he helped them conquer all their enemies. And finally, in Joshua 21, 45, it says, Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given of the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. You hear that? I want to just say that again. The Bible says, Joshua 21, that not a single one, everybody say, not a single one. I think your flesh needs to hear it. Maybe the devil needs to hear us say it too, so he knows that we believe it. Because we're trusting God. We're not trusting in self. We're not trusting in this world. We're not trusting in any resource or help other than him. Amen. And my Bible says that not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Now, if you back up to verse 44, it should be noted, which I'm going to talk about today. It says, the Lord helped them. Everybody say, the Lord helped them. So there was a help from the Lord to fulfill the promises. God fulfilled them, but it says, the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. So there is a fulfillment, and there is a way that God does it. In the way that God has always done it, all the way since the beginning, Adam and Eve, I mean, literally... Your fate today hinged on humanity. Let's not be unaware of this. The, the, the state that you are in here, this ugly, annoying flesh that's constantly trying to drag you down and pull you back into the old man and old woman, right? That thing is here because human beings made a decision. I mean, let's be realistic here. Let's, let's just be, you know, let's... Bring reality back here. God made a promise to humanity, and he fulfilled it through Jesus Christ, but ultimately it will be fully fulfilled when we have the new heaven and new earth and new bodies. Amen. But let's not be unaware that 
God has always done it since Adam and Eve until the end. He has always hinged his promises on human beings. He gave us literally everything and said, I'm going to give you oxygen and you have land and you have each other and the animals and I just want you to be. That's it. That's all you have to do is just be. And yet uh, that promise to them was hinged on them not eating of the tree of evil, right? Tree of life. Don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? So we must note that God's promises are true and they are faithful and he keeps them. But here's the second part is that we, everybody say we, must keep the faith. That's it. That's literally the only thing. It's the same message from the beginning of time to the end of time that God has for a people. And you could sum up your entire Bible in this. It's that God is faithful. He loves us. He's, he's a promise-keeping God. The only thing we must do, it's literally this simple, is just believe him. We just need to have faith that he knows what he's doing. He is who he is and is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do. That's it. Now, every, I mean, we get, it only gets complicated because... There's human beings involved, and we don't want to do what he says. I mean, that's literally, if let's just be brutally honest, that's what it is. I don't want to love Tom right now, God. You told me to love Tom. I don't want to. And so then there's friction here, and we create this fight, and the Lord's like, just love him. Tom's so annoying to you. Just love him. But when there's brotherly love, right? When I've decided, Lord, this is my brother, and I just do what you say, then there's peace and there's harmony. But I can create friction by just simply just not doing what God's asked me to do. And that's literally the whole entire Bible. I have to say it this way, but I don't want to major on us. I want to major on God today. But I have to, I cannot talk about his promises and his faithfulness with also talking about it hinges on us. I don't want to get off because I have a lot of reading to do, so I'll just say this very, very quickly as I read here, a disclosure. The thought is, and it's been argued, there's literally names. There's literally names for groups of people for your belief system. And the thought is, is your salvation automatic? Has it been decided before time? And that means that God cannot and will not change that. Your seasons may change, but one way or the other, you were saved before time and you will always be saved. And then there's the other side that says, I have a choice in the matter. Yes, in one way, because God is God and he has seen everything from the beginning. He's the beginning and the end, and it's just one big circle to him. He's looking from above. He's not looking at a timeline like us. He, he's aware of what I'll do and what I'm not going to do, but I've been the one that made the decision. And those are two major schools. I mean, there's a major divide, so I don't want to get off on that, but I want to just note that there is a major divide. There is a group of people that says, you don't have a choice in the matter. You made the choice, but you didn't really make the choice. And then the other side that says, you make the choices. What I find is actually is that in, in the middle of this argument, what happens is, is that I think it creates sloppy Christianity because it's kind of like, 
evolution that the devil slipped in, if I don't matter, if I just evolved, then what does it matter if I do such and such and hurt this person? Because none of it matters. You see how like a simple thought, you know, that I evolved from an ape, well, that doesn't sound like anti-God. I mean, to us, it's clear, right? But if you just say that statement, you're like, well, God created apes and you know, we're not even taking God out of the picture necessarily, because like some Christians believe this, you know, that God used evolution. But you see how the lie then creeps in and then creates this, it sneaks in, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I'm just an accident, and I just happened. And so I think the same way it can get sloppy in Christianity to think that everything that God's promises are automatic, it doesn't matter what you do or don't do, they will be fulfilled one way or the other. And the thing is, that's an answer to that question is yes and no. Here's what I find, and I think you could find this the same way I think as a mature Christian you have found the same thing. You ready for this? And, and I'm going to say this, God keeps his promises with or without you. He will fulfill his promise. But within that statement is also something I think we should pay attention to that's very, very sharp. God doesn't need you to fulfill his promise. He will do it with or without you, but that's the key at the same time. Who wants to be in God's promise and who wants to be outside of it? I mean, he doesn't need us to fulfill it. He's going to fulfill it because he's God. At the same time, do you notice in your word how God said to David, I will always have someone, I made a promise and he kept it. There will always be someone sitting on the throne in your name until Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is the final fulfillment of that. How many times do you read through the story though and we look at the actual individuals? Everybody say the word, I'm, ready? An individual. God's promise is to the earth and to a people group, but the individual can choose to be a part of it or not. Now, this is the key, and I think this is where people get weird. They take things out of context in the Word. They take promises and truths of God that were meant to a people group or to, uh, to the whole world, and then they individualize it when instead it was a promise as a broad promise, like, for instance, you ready? I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's a broad promise. Now, somebody murders someone, and they were stoned to death. Did God leave them or forsake them, or did they make a choice and pull themselves away from God? Right? How could God say, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but then he also had a law that if someone murders, I want you to take them outside, and I want you to stone them. In fact, forget murder. If you just talk back to your parent, children, listen up. Talk back to your parents, and I want you to take that child outside. I will never leave you nor forsake you, but I want you to kill them. And I just wanted to, I want to point this out. God's promises are, are 100%. They are fact. It, is, it has been set in stone. It cannot be changed, cannot be shifted. But whether we want to be part of it or not is our choice. And all we have to do to be part of it, you ready for the simplicity of the gospel? You want to know why it was such good news? This is why it was called good news. You will never be able to do all the rules and regulations and be good enough to inherit his promise. So all I want you to do, because I know that's impossible for you humans. I've watched it now over thousands of years, and I've observed it's impossible. You cannot do it. 
So just believe. That's it. Just believe me. If you can do that, all of my promises are yours. Isn't that incredible? And that's all. I want to do some reading, so that's all I'm going to say before I read. But is everybody clear? Everybody's getting what I'm saying? Amen? The Bible says in Luke, I want to start with this, and we're talking about the Christmas season here. Luke chapter 1. Verse 68 says, uh, praise the Lord, God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant, David, as I just mentioned. Verse 70, just as he promised. Isn't that incredible? He promised through his holy prophets long ago, now we will be saved from our enemies who hate us, and he has been merciful to us. And it says in verse 72, Luke 1, verse 72, now this is in the prophecy about Christ. He's about to be born. He's talking to, uh, talking to us, really bypassing time, telling us what's happening here, but he's prophesying pre-Christ. It says, he has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. Which covenant? Who is Christ the fulfillment of? Verse 73, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. So the Abrahamic covenant was finally and fully fulfilled in Christ. And Christ will finally and fully fulfill his promise completely with the new heaven and new earth. Amen. So verse 74 says, we, everybody let's say we. Because that's us. We can apply, our, we can bring ourselves into this. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. So Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And because of that, I want to look again, and I'm going to just breeze through a whole bunch of scriptures so just stay with me, and I guess Dawn is here on the screen, so that's awesome, because I had a lot to, to read here. And the two things I want us to remember as we're reading through these scriptures is very simple, is that God made a promise, and all he required from us is faith. That's it. Christ is the fulfillment, and you can go through, I just we don't have the time, but I'll just say it quickly, right? How many scriptures point back to Abraham as showing him, him being the father of our faith, right? I'm going to try to get to some of those, but I don't want to hold you here till 3 o'clock. But how many scriptures, right, through our New Testament, point us back to Abraham saying, hey, this guy believed God, he had faith, and that's really what it's all about. That's what Jesus came. Uh, we don't have time, so I'll tell you, in John chapter 8, Jesus is having this argument with the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they're saying to him, like, hey, our father's Abraham. And he says, no, your father's not Abraham, because you don't believe me. It's that simple. Because you don't believe me, that's what he says. That's the scriptures. If you, your father was Abraham, you would believe me, because that's all that it is, just faith. It's that simple, simple belief and simple faith. You would believe what I'm saying. No, your father's the devil. Don't you love how Jesus just makes it clear? That literally, those who believe, now this is what's interesting, and this is how I think we can prove it. I'm not here to argue against the sides of belief systems, of automatic Christianity versus decision-based Christianity. I don't want to make a big argument about it, but I want to say this, that those ones, they had the right. If anybody could say they had the right to be 
the people of God, they were actually physically born children of Abraham. And yet Jesus, who says it so clearly, no, Abraham's not your father. Your father's the devil. Wow. Simply because of one thing, not because of your blood, not because of bo- you were born and raised, not because of your religious activities. I don't care if you go to church or don't go to church. I mean, those things will affect, your, affect you, won't they? Those things are important, but those are not the key, is it? I don't care how many times you come, you can come into the temple. You could worship me seven days a week. You could do the 7 a.m. Mass, and you could do the 12 p.m. Mass on Christmas Eve, and you can do all these religious things, but that's not it. Do you fully believe in me? Have you put your faith in me? Because otherwise, let's be blunt here, like Jesus, your father's the devil. Wow. So let's look at Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, and we've read this now uh, many times, but let's just look at this again. He says, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family. I want you to go to a land I will show you. All right, so there's the faith right there. I need you to leave everything you know, everybody you know, all your notoriety, your family, you know, your inheritance. I mean, you have to leave everything. And I want you to just leave it all behind. I want you to put yourself on the altar, Romans 12:1, And I want you to just shed it off. And I want you to be my servant. I will make you, verse 2, here's his promise. And here's where the covenant begins. Everybody say, here's where the covenant promise begins. Now, God didn't make it yet. The covenant's not been made yet. A lot of people apply Roman, uh, Genesis 12, showing that it was already made. This was God telling him about the promise that I can make. This is what will be. This is what's going to happen. But there's some things we're going to have to go through to get there. And that's what it says. So he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you, make you famous. I'm gonna, you're going to be a blessing to others. And verse 3, those who bless you uh, will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Amen. That's Jesus Christ, right? Through him, through his seed. So Genesis chapter 15, it says sometime later, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision, and he said to him, do not be afraid, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. Verse 3, you have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and he said to him, I want you to look up at the sky and I want you to try to count the stars. And if you can count them, then you can count how many descendants you're going to have. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. Everybody, I want you to read this out loud. I believe the Lord. And the Bible says today, just as Christ counts us as righteous through simple belief, he says, The Lord counts us right in this room as righteous because of our faith. Amen. The Lord says, I want you to look. I want you to look heaven bound. I mean, isn't this amazing? Look at all the pictures. There's so many. Don't you love the types and shadows we call them in Christianity, right? Pointing to so many things. But the Lord asks us to do the same thing. I want you to set your sights on what you can't even understand. I want you to look. Can you possibly even count the stars? Can you, You can't even fathom what I want to do in you and through you. And it doesn't even happen in his lifetime. We're going to read it, but he has one son. (laughs) So 
It's something that he had to believe God way beyond him. Amen. And we have to do the same thing. We have to believe amidst all the chaos and all the craziness of the world we live in now that there is this God, a singular God, who decided he loved us so much that he came as a form of a baby. Let's just think of the lunacy of this, right? That's what the Bible says. Comes in as a baby, born in a manger, the animals, and this is the king, this is the great king. And then this baby, really, as we were watching something on the nativity the other night, I was watching this baby, and I'm like, you know, I have, you have to stop and think about it. Jesus was a baby. It's an interesting thought to think about because Mary and Joseph were real people. They're not just ideas, and they bring this baby into this world, and yet this precious little baby, right? Just, he's a baby like just of all the other babies like we were and we have, right? And the only thing you want for them is life and love and peace and joy and hope, and yet this baby was born to die. And one day, Mary's going to watch her little boy being put on the cross. She's standing right there, had been completely just destroyed. The Bible says he doesn't even look human, and he's on the cross dying for us. And then I have to believe that not only did that happen, but that that same Lord is going to ride on a white horse and come with a sword in his hand and a sword in his mouth and save me and create a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, to the human mind, it's lunacy, isn't it? You see that it's the same faith that we must have that Abraham had. I want you to look at the stars and count them, and, and if you can do that, that's going to be your descendants. Okay, God. In his human mind, but he's, the Bible says he decided, he pushed his human mind aside and said, I believe you. I'm trying to figure it out in my mind. Isn't it amazing that Abraham, see, I love the Bible because the Bible is just as relevant today as it was when it was penned. Isn't it interesting that Abraham reasons in his mind just like we do. We try to figure God out, figure it all out. Okay, God, I'll figure, you know, here's what I'm going to do. You're going to have to do it through Eleazar because I'm not having a kid. I'm 90, God, by the way. Just in case you didn't realize, kind of past that age. He says, no, you're going to have a son of your own. Isn't that amazing? So Genesis chapter 16 says, so, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children. This is Genesis 16, verse 1. Uh, she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar, so she says to Abram, I want you to sleep with my servant Hagar, and she's going to bring a child through for us through her. So verse 15, Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael, and Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, I want you to say that out loud. When Abram was 99 years old, <laughs> the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully. Now, here's the covenant. He's about to fulfill the covenant. The covenant's going to be really, it's going to be uh, with, a, with a promise now. And he says, uh, serve me faithfully, live a blameless life, and I will make a covenant with you. So he's reminding, so now he talked about the covenant and he's reminding him of it. It's going to be through your son. And he thinks he did it. He's like, okay, Lord, I've, you know, I figured that part out for you. I helped you, by the way. I got a son for you now because I knew that you didn't realize I was 86. So I, we, you know, we had this younger servant, so we have a child now. And then it says, 
He says, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee you countless descendants. And Abram fell down to his face, and God says to him, now this is my covenant with you. I'll make you the father of multitude of nations. In verse 5, what's more, I'm changing your name. You're no longer Abram. You're Abraham because you're going to be the father of many. And verse 7, I'll confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. It's an everlasting covenant. And I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Then God said to Abraham, now wait a second. Verse 7 says, he said, I will always be your God and the God of the descendants after you. And yet Jesus called the very descendants of Abraham sons of the devil. And Paul goes on with a big teaching about this. Why? Because he says it wasn't about the law. It wasn't about trying to fulfill religious acts. But because of Abraham's belief in God, his faith in God, that's what set him apart. And that's what, I mean, he had, to create, he had an action. He had to leave everything and go and follow God into the unknown. And then he had to believe that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And so we can see here that God made the promise, but the promise was conditional on faith. Amen. I mean, that's simple. God made a promise which he will not break, but it is completely conditional on our belief. Will we believe him? And I thank God and praise God that in this room we have said, you know what? I don't believe in the myth, not even in the theory, let's just call it what it is, the myth of evolution. I don't. It takes too much faith for me to believe in evolution, right? And I've decided I'm going to believe in God. I'm going to believe in the lunacy of Jesus Christ. I, I know that he is the, I know he's God. I know it. I know within me that he is the one, amen. And, and out of that belief and out of that faith, right, we have a life now there's life. I mean, it's easy for us to say now, but remember also when the sparks were flying in the beginning right there, where you decided, I'm going to make this decision in the unknown and jumping off the cliff into the unknown of following God. Anyway, back here to the scriptures. Is everybody okay? I'm reading fast, but I just wanted to really establish what was actually happening here. When he talks about us continuing in the Abrahamic covenant, let's see what was actually happening. Abraham is just like us. Everybody say he was just like us. He reasoned in his mind, he wondered, he was confused, and we don't have time for the whole story. You can read through these chapters, but you got Lot in the mix, you got Sodom and Gomorrah going on, you got his wells being filled, you got him going to Egypt, you know, trying to figure stuff out. I mean, he was just like us. We're saying, okay, God, you said you, would, you gave me all these promises, you said you loved me, and I got a whole bunch of stuff happening here that doesn't look like it in the natural, but I'm going to believe you anyway. Amen. And that's what, as mature believers, we know this story, and we know that that's the decision that we have made, too. So he says, verse 9, Abraham, just like Jesus says to us, just like Jesus was saying in John chapter 8 to them, listen, my promise, if you will just understand that I made a, I'm literally going to give my blood. I'm gonna, Abraham, you don't even understand it yet, but your descendant, he's going to shed his own blood, my very son in heaven. My promise is so powerful and so incredible, you can't even fathom it in your human mind. And all that I want you to do, verse 9, Adam, is I want you to obey the terms of my covenant. You just obey me, you trust me, you believe me, and the promise is yours. Verse 15 says, Then God said to Abraham regarding Sarah, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarah, it will be Sarah. And then he blesses her, and I'm going to give a son from her. And I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. 
and she's the, uh, the kings of nations and among descendants. Verse 17, then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. Now, this is key. The reason I'm pointing this out is because when you read in Hebrews, which I thought I might read, time is ticking, uh, it doesn't mention this, but it says that he laughed to himself, just like we do. Come on, he's just, isn't this incredible? This story is like 4,000 years old, and it's just as relevant as to us. God says something to us, and we go, I hope you're right. Who has ever said that to God? Who's ever heard a prophecy from someone and go, I hope he's right? I mean, it would be nice. Who's ever done that? I hope that prophet's right, because that would be nice. He laughs to himself as if God can't see it. Isn't that funny? God can see our laughing. He says, how can I be the father at the age of 100? And how can Sarah uh, have a baby when she's near 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Now this is why uh, this, you could, I could spend a whole sermon on just this, trying to do our own thing. But I just wanted to point out that when God makes a promise, even if we get involved if you just keep your belief in him, you keep your eyes set on him, you keep your faith in him, even when you make mistakes and try to take his blessings and promises and plan for your life and try to put it into action, if you have simple belief, this is why it really just does come down to belief. If you have true faith, I'm confident because my word says it. It doesn't even mention Ishmael in Hebrews. It just says that Abraham believed God. And never stop believing God. Because if we have simple belief and, and simple faith in God, even all the mess-ups we make along the way trying to help him be God, he's okay with the hiccups and turns, and, and he will still work his plan out in your life by just believing him. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. So God replies, no, <laughs> Sarah, your wife, Sarah, not Hagar, Abraham, I need to talk to you like a child, not Hagar, not Ishmael, okay, I know you're two, do you understand me, Sarah, your wife, okay, hope he's right. He's going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Isaac, which means laughter. Isn't that funny? Isn't God fun? Doesn't God have a sense of humor? Because literally it says, and I think I'm going to read it, but Sarah says when she names him, I named it because she laughs. But God says, this is what you're going to name him. So God knows. You know what? I heard you laugh. You didn't believe my promises, but I can see your faith. It's not very much right this second, but I still see your belief. I see your faith. And you know what? When your promise comes, I want you to remember this moment that I'm a promise-keeping God. Amen. Wow. And I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant, but my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. So chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre, and one day Abraham was sitting at the entrance and he looks up, and he sees three men standing, and this is the Lord now. The Lord came. Old Testament, the Lord showed up in a, in a flesh. This is, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but this is probably Jesus, Old Testament, because whenever we see, uh, we call it like a Christophany in Christianity, and so Jesus comes. There's some angels with him, 
and he says, Lord, verse 3, uh, it, you know, stop here for a while. Let me feed you. Let me prepare some food for you. So Abraham knows, like, you know, this is not just a normal human being. I don't know if I understand that this is Jesus, but this is someone from God. This is a messenger from God, angels, or Jesus himself. It doesn't say clearly, but he calls him Lord. And then, uh, so he prepares a meal. Now, what happens is, while he's doing that, now remember, Abraham just laughed. He just laughed. But now it says, the Bible says here, uh, when the food was ready, verse 8. Dawn, thank you for keeping up with me today, because I'm like, I told you I had a lot. But I wanted to get somewhere, because I think that God's so good, and this whole story really has to be looked at as a whole, so I'm moving quickly, because um, the verses just tell the story itself without me doing it. So verse 9 says, they say, so they're eating this food, and they say, hey, where's Sarah, your wife? This is just, it's got to be Jesus, because it's just like Jesus, isn't it? Hey, uh, where's your wife? This is exactly like Jesus in the New Testament. He says to the woman at the, you know, go get your husband. Go, I don't have a husband. You think Jesus didn't know that? Right, we just talked about this the other day. Jesus is funny. Uh, he's sharp, he's, he, but he loves us so much, uh, and he has a sense of humor um, he doesn't have a sense of humor for sin, but he sees our innocence. He sees us like children. He sees our, us as babies, and he loves us, and he's, he is fun with us too, isn't he? Isn't God fun with us? And I love that he is. Now, he's not fun with you when you don't do what he says over and over and over again, right? Because he has to be dad at that point. He has to take a different role, but he would not. Who, what dad wants to be that? Okay, dad's here. You guys want to bring the belt out? Not that we don't podcast. We don't bring belts out. That's, I know that's archaic. I'm just talking about the idea of a belt. Right? But we don't want to do that. You want to love your children and have fun with them, right? You want to raise them right, but you want to be fun with them. So and that's the Lord. He, he loves us so much. So he says, hey, where's your wife? He knows exactly where she is. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. And then one of them said, I'll return about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening. To, on this conversation from inside the tent, and Abraham and Sarah were both um, very old at the time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children, verse 11 says. So verse 12 says, so she laughed, just like Abraham laughed, silently to herself and said, how could a worn-out woman like me <laughs> enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? So not only did he know she was in the tent, he could hear her in his spirit, just like Jesus does. Remember, you know, people would be arguing, and he doesn't think that they realize that they're arguing because it's quiet, but Jesus doesn't hear with human ears, hears with spirit. He says, hey, why were you guys arguing about that? Whoa, <laughs> I didn't even know you could hear us, Lord. I thought we could keep this secret from you. Anyway, the Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? And there's, it's funny, as she's, later on they say, I didn't laugh, and he goes, yes, you did. The Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman have a baby like this? And then verse 14 says this, ready? And this is why I feel like I needed to read this, all of this, because it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Uh, chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord, I want you to read this out loud with me. The Lord kept his word because that's what he does that's what god does and he did for sarah exactly what he had promised she became pregnant and she gave birth to a son 
for Abraham in his old age, and this happened at just the time that God said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. Not only is God a promise-keeping God, but God will fulfill the promises in your life. Amen? Chapter 22, verse 1. Everybody loves this chapter. You ready? Oh, pastor, he's going there. You got a few minutes left, and you're going there. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called, yes. He replied, here I am. I want you to take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you've loved so much, and I want you to go to the land of Moriah, and I want you to go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Hold on a second. What? You just took us through from chapter 12 to chapter 21, and now you're pulling chapter 22 on us, Pastor? Wait a second. For the last nine chapters, you just proclaimed how God said, I'm going to do it, and even mistakes, and then God says, I want you to sacrifice the very thing that he finally gave him? Wow. It's quiet in this room. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Wait a second. Verse 3 says, the next morning, some translations say early the next morning, Abraham got up. Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, and went to do what God asked him to do. And on the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up, verse 4, and he saw the place in the distance. Verse 5, he says, stay here, and the boy and I are going to go worship God. Verse 6, Abraham places the wood, he raises the knife, and uh, verse 9 says, I'm sorry, verse 9 says, when they arrived at the place, he builds it, builds the ark, he ties up Isaac, he lays him there. Verse 10, he picks up the knife, and he's about to kill his son. And verse 11 says, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. See, God's promises are connected to true, utter. I'm not just talking belief like like I've said it so many times, I've used the analogy, you can say you believe in gravity until the door of the airplane opens and you have to trust that your parachute was prepared properly in your backpack. At that moment, you said you believe, do you really believe? And the thing is that his promise is his promise, but our belief is so, they are hinged together. And the thing is, don't, don't think... It's not that God does it, but don't think he does not allow this life to test the very belief, and that's where you might be at in your life, and you might be listening in your podcast, that you are being tested in the same way, or will be tested, or have been tested, that do you believe what you said you believed, and you went this far, and now here's the promise in your hands, and you are asked to give it back to God. It is the very picture of what Christ has done in us. Jesus said, give me your life and I will give you life. And yet, once we give him life, Romans 12, 1 says, now give me your life back again. He's not schizophrenic. God is not, un he's not uh, weird. And, he, and we're looking at him through a human perspective. He's saying, I will give you life 
but my plans and purposes for your life are not even what you understand. Now, you're not going to miss out on anything. That's the devil lying to you. You're not missing out on running around and doing all those parties and all those things with all those people that you shouldn't be with anyway. Who has learned that by now? That you didn't miss out on anything when God said, I want you to serve me. You realize now in wisdom that, wow, thank you, God, that you are so faithful that I put my belief in you and put my heart into your hands, and I did it, and you've asked so much of me, but I've realized that your promise, and I said this when I started this sermon, is worth it. And because of that, you can ask anything of me, and I'll do it, because that's how much I believe you. Even the very thing that you've been promising me all along, I'm not going to look to you for the promise. I'm going to look to you for you. I'm not going to trust you, God, because you pay my bills. I'm going to trust you, God, because you're God. I'm not going to trust you, God, because you've given my children health. I'm going to trust you, God, because you're God. I'm not going to trust you, God, even though marriages have fallen apart in my life, and I don't understand that. I'm not going to doubt you now. I'm going to look to you and trust you because you're you and not because you've done things. Amen. And that's exactly, isn't it amazing how relevant this 4,000-year-old story is? And this is what it says, verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven. He says, verse 16, this is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me. Everybody say, because we've obeyed him. And not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name. Oh, man, if you're not filled with faith. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. Now, this is what's interesting, is the covenant that he hinted at in 12, he brings it full circle. The Lord says it again now. Now, why did God say it now? Because God says, hey, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Who has found that there's a lot of weariness in between before you finally find rest? Who has found that it's not instant? He said, come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. But suddenly, Lord, I feel a lot more weary now that I know you. God has not tricked us. It's getting flesh out of us. It's getting us to the point where I just believe you. That takes time. That's a process. There's a life in between that where you just say, I just believe. I don't know what else to do. I'm not turning back now. I'm not going to give up now. You can ask me of my son, and that's, if that's what you want. I've learned at this point that you're God, and I love you, and I trust you, and I don't know what that means in the natural, but I'm, I'm going to keep following you. And he says... I will certainly bless you. I'll multiply your descendants beyond number. And like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. So wait a second. The promise and the covenant that was made. See, everybody talks about the covenant of God. It's not hinged on anything. God just did it because he wants to. And then, yes, that's so true. And yet, we must read the whole story that he said it's because. Do you know what this word means right here? Anybody know what that means? That's a conditional word. Everybody know what a conditional word is? Conditional means the promise is going to be fully fulfilled because I said it would. It doesn't mean I was a liar, but we can't also not look at the rest of the word because you have obeyed me. We can fast forward and we can say, Jesus got on the cross. We didn't deserve it. Not one of us in this room deserved it, and he did it 2,000 years before you even would do the sins that he would need to die for. And yet, I must repent, I must believe in my heart, and I must 
proclaim or confess with my mouth what he has done in my life. I must walk out. I must be obedient to what he's asked me to do. And it's simple. He really doesn't ask much of us. Just believe me. But I still must do that. And the enemy today is trying to take even that away. Tried to turn belief into an idea. Belief became reality when he said, now take your son and go sacrifice him. In every single one of your lives, don't be surprised that God will do the same thing. Now, it will not be your physical child. Holy moly. i put this out there as a disclosure on the internet. This pastor said you should go kill your son. But it will be that precious to you. Who has found that when you follow Christ, the things most precious, you feel like the Lord... And then you find that as you've given him those things that are most precious, you just give him your time, you give him your effort, you give him your heart, you give him your money, you give him your life. But then you realize, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You didn't take anything away from me. You blessed me even more. I've realized that it's not those things, it's you. And now I have a blessing that's greater than the blessing that this world can ever understand. It's the blessing that's in knowing you. The Bible says in James that Abraham was a friend of God. That's what happened. He became God's friend. He went beyond, just do this because I said it. Just do this because it's rules. Do this because I say so. Became, this is my friend, and I know he has my best interest. Can I read just a couple more things? I know it's late, but in Hebrews, can I just read a couple more verses? Just very quickly, it says in Hebrews 11, it says, verse 8, Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave and he went to another land in inheritance, he went without knowing. Hebrews 11, just summing it up. This is, see, Hebrews sums it up, I think, so beautifully, and I thought it needed to be read in Romans as well. It says, verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham, this is Hebrews 11, verse 17, by faith Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. You know why? Because in his heart, he had already done it. His willingness to obey, that's what God wants. He just wants this, this heart that is so devoted to him. And, and I said it during prayer. I know that we know the story. And I know it's like a broken record for me, but Peter, when he set his eyes on Christ, literally this world just disappeared. And there's nothing that you cannot do. There's nothing that will stand in your way. But at the moment that we begin to reason humanly instead of in a godly reason. We become, in a place like Peter, did we begin to sink into the mire of just confusion and in this world. And, and Romans 4 says something very similar. It just goes on and tells about his obedience and that it was his right relationship. And this is when it, Romans is talking about how it all comes down to faith and it's just belief. And then it says in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, even when there was no reason for hope. Did you hear me? It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing 
that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. Verse 21, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. This is the place that God wants us to be in. I know we all have different stories. There's different challenges going on, and I believe the challenges are going to increase. I've been saying that now since I've been pastor, and they are increasing. Who is aware the challenges are increasing? Uh, you're going to have to make a choice to believe in Christ more every year. It's just going to keep going. You're going to become the outcast like the Bible says you will be. And don't be surprised, Jesus said. We need to decide right now. Amen. Amen. And so let me just bring that into prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. And I thank you, God, that you are covenant-keeping God. You are promise-keeping God. And Lord, all we need to do is believe that you are going to do it. That's it. We join together with the promise. We join together with Christ's sacrifice, like your word says. And your word says that if we will share in that suffering, your word says we will share in his glory. I thank you, God. We believe beyond human belief, Lord, in a place that comes from within us, a deep spiritual belief, Lord, a knowing, a friendship to you, Lord. In that place, thank you, God, we just put our hope again and afresh and anew. And I thank you, Lord, that your promises that you've given us, Lord, in this earth, yes, but, Lord, even greater, Lord, as you come to fulfill the final plans of time. I thank you, Lord Jesus. We believe those things are going to come to pass and soon, Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray, give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.